Hi there, my name is Natalie Nation and you're listening to Feed That Nation. registered dietitian. I'm a health educator, a content creator, a college student just like you, and I'm a self-proclaimed mac and cheese expert. I create content here on Feed That Nation all about college life, college health, and college wellness with the goal of helping you, my fellow college students, to be more successful, more confident, and more healthy in your student journey. I upload new podcast episodes right here to YouTube and to your favorite podcast listening platforms every Wednesday, and I upload vlogs all about college life, my life, food, cooking, DIYs, and whatever the heck else I get up to during the week every Saturday. Go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Go ahead and throw this video a thumbs up or on a podcast platform, leave me a five-star rating and review if you are able. It would help me out so much. Also go ahead and check out my affiliate partner below, Coconut Whisk. They are a vegan, allergy-friendly, gluten-free baking mix company, and they have a ton of great deals for the holidays. They have a ton of fun products. I honestly love everything that I've tried from Coconut Whisk so far, and I'm very excited to be able to bring you a coupon code, FeedThatNation, and if you use my coupon code or use my link below, you get $3 off your order, and I receive a small commission. Everybody wins in this scenario. Go check out Coconut Whisk. Before I get into today's episode where I talk about what it was like for me to start therapy as a college student and answer some of your questions about what it's like to start therapy in college, I wanted to bring you, as per usual, my food, my follow, and my fun for the week. Now, with the holidays coming up, I feel like I have been enjoying a lot of treats, maybe a few more than usual, and I am loving it right now, and a treat. I just picked it up at the grocery store, and my husband and I went through the whole can very quickly. Those, like, pirouette cookies, the, like, thin, long cookies about the length of a pencil, and they come in different flavors. We got chocolate hazelnut and it was so good they're just such a fun treat they feel so fancy and grown up and it's not something we buy all the time but in the spirit of the holidays we have been enjoying yummy treats together so definitely would recommend trying some pirouettes or whatever brand you like i know trader joe's also has a version of this cookie that are amazing my follow for the week is a youtuber named katie morton who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and she has years and years worth of videos talking all about all things therapy and mental health related. She's got tons of videos on what it's like to start therapy, what a first therapy session might be like, and she's just got so much wisdom and so many different resources. I would highly recommend checking out her channel if you're interested in learning more about what therapy is like, learning about mental health, learning about self-care, all of that. Would definitely recommend going to check out Katie Morton. My fun for the week is a little DIY that I made for myself and it's sitting right here next to me. If you're watching me on YouTube, I have what looks like a multicolored bean bag and it's actually filled with rice. It's about the size of my hand and it is a heat pack. So before I came up here to film this episode, I popped this little guy in the microwave for 40 seconds and it is so nice and warm and toasty and I've been cold all the time lately so sometimes I'll just heat this up and put it into a sweatshirt pocket or a coat pocket or I'll stick it up on my feet if I'm on the couch or something like that just to keep me warm 
It was super easy to make. All you would need would be some thread and a needle, some cotton fabric that does not have anything metallic on it, and some rice. I use normal white rice. White rice. There we go. And I just sewed it up into a square, filled it with rice, and so, so easy. If you are cold all the time like I am, I'd recommend making your own DIY heat pack, or you can buy reusable heat warmers or hand warmers or electric blankets or heating pads, whatever your budget is, there is an option for you when it comes to staying toasty this winter. So I've been wanting to do this episode on what it's like to start therapy in college because I feel like when I was in need of therapy and counseling and guidance and help with my mental health, I was really nervous about the idea of starting therapy. I had a lot of preconceived notions about it. I was worried that it wouldn't work. I was I was just a bucket of nerves, probably one of the reasons I really needed to be in therapy. And I wanted to create this video to talk you guys through what my experiences were and what has come up in terms of being someone who uses therapy on campus and using on-campus providers versus going off campus and finding private practicers who provide therapy, what that's been like with insurance, costs, and other things like that, just to kind of walk you through it. And this is totally my experience. This is not anyone else's experience, but I wanted to bring it to you. In the interest of trigger warnings, I will be talking about mental health throughout the episode, mostly in relation to my own depression and anxiety. I'm not exactly sure the direction of this episode yet, but if there are any other trigger warnings that I think you should be aware of, I will pop them in the description box below and I will put them on the screen. If you're watching me on YouTube, just so you know where I will be talking about those things and where you can skip to if you would rather not hear. So when it comes to seeking out therapy in college, I wanted to first break down the difference between therapy and counseling. And my understanding of counseling versus therapy and sort of the definitions that float around the internet are that counseling is considered to be shorter term for acute problems versus therapy can be more ongoing for chronic issues. So for example, someone who has recently lost a loved one and is depressed and grieving might seek out grief counseling versus somebody who has had anxiety or depression or another more chronic mental illness or chronic mental health issues might be in therapy. There is obviously a lot of overlap between these two definitions and I don't think one is overall better than the other and every person is different in terms of what they need, the type of provider that will provide them with what they need, and really their way of working through mental health. And so I say that because a lot of college campuses have free or reduced cost counseling and counselors available to students. And the reason I say counseling and counselors is because in my experience, both in undergrad, the experiences that my friends and classmates have had at other institutions, the counseling that on-campus providers are able to give to students is fairly limited. It's generally limited in terms of number of sessions that a student is able to access in an academic year. And it may even be limited in the fact that there may not be individual counseling for students. It might be in a group setting or it might be in a setting that isn't one-on-one -on -one counseling with a provider and a student. 
And I don't think this is a bad thing. I think that some students certainly would benefit from being able to attend the counseling with an on-campus provider for the eight or 10 sessions that they are allowed or doing group counseling with a provider. And this is a good option for a lot of people and I'm not discounting that, but I think the drawbacks when it comes to seeking out counseling from an on-campus source, from a counselor that is employed by the university is that generally this is not a permanent or long-term solution for a number of reasons. The first of which is like I've already said, there's generally a limit to the number of sessions a student is able to have with an on-campus provider before they are referred outward. There are also sometimes, depending on the school, depending on the providers available, limits to the type of counseling that a, an on-campus provider can provide, provider can provide for a student. For example, some schools are not able to provide counseling for students struggling with eating disorders. That is something that some schools don't have the capacity to ethically and safely provide for students. And there's also the issue that college campuses and staff who work at colleges generally tend to turn over sometimes without warning. And this actually happened to me. I was seeing an on-campus provider at my undergraduate institution and I had been seeing her for the second half of my sophomore year of college and all the way through my junior year of college. And I had been very much intending to continue seeing her until I graduated. But all of the students who had been patients of hers had got an email in July of this summer after my junior year saying that she had left the university and was going to be working somewhere else, meaning that we would not be able to keep seeing her. And this was pretty devastating to me. Um, it definitely caught me off guard. It pulled the rug out from under me because it wasn't expected at all. And it was really just difficult and obviously feelings that I had to work through because it felt kind of like I'd been betrayed, like she had left me personally. And I know a lot of other students probably felt the same way. All of this to say that on-campus counseling is such a needed resource. I'm so glad that colleges are able to provide that for students. And I think that more funding needs to be allocated in university budgets to have the staff to provide students with counseling because I'll talk about this a little bit later in the episode, but there's often too many students who need help and not enough counselors to be able to see these students in a timely manner. Now, off-campus providers, there are definitely a lot of pros and cons as well. The, I think, biggest con to an off-campus provider is that they are off-campus. So location-wise, they may not be located near where you go to school. And if you want to see them, transportation may be an issue. If you have to take the bus, if you have to walk, if you have a car, you have to travel physically to go to this provider. I think another con for an off-campus provider is that they will take insurance or they might be private pay meaning that you pay out of pocket without being able to bill insurance, or they might accept both. A lot of counselors and therapists off campus are able to accommodate both people who use insurance and people who do private pay. All that being said, depending on your insurance plan, therapy may still be a rather expensive option for you. I know for me and my insurance plan personally, until I reach my deductible, my therapy is pretty darn expensive and once I reach my deductible my therapy sessions drop to about $12 a session I think until the new year and then it starts all over again until I meet my deductible. 
and that's challenging because for me, therapy is necessary to be able to function as a human being. You know, with my mental health, I really benefit from going to therapy regularly. But, you know, when January rolls around and instead of $12, I end up having to pay significantly more for my therapy because I haven't reached my deductible yet, it's it's difficult to make that choice sometimes. It's difficult to realize just how much money I'm spending. And I am in a very privileged place where not only do I have insurance, but I am able to pay the more costly amount before I hit my deductible. And that is not the case for a lot of people, whether or not you have insurance, whether or not you have the money to be able to pay the cost, you know, before the deductible, after the deductible, your copay. If you are a private payer, that can still be pretty expensive depending on the provider. Some providers might have sliding scales. It's just, it's big and complicated, to be honest. It's, I would say one of the big benefits to seeing an off-campus provider is that you are able to potentially see this person through your college experience and afterward. I began seeing my current therapist, I think, a little over two years ago now, and I started seeing her when I was a senior in college, and now I'm in my second year of graduate school. And barring anything significant happening between us, her individually, me individually, our relationship, you know, I definitely intend to keep seeing her for a while. And that is something that is really going to benefit me, I think. You know, when I switched to seeing her from my other provider who left my undergraduate institution, it was it was a hard shift. It was a hard shift to have to meet this new person, have her meet me, and get to know each other, have her get to know the significant people in my life through what I talk about and learn my significant life events through me talking about it. And it just takes time to feel each other out, to get to know each other, and have that kind of uncertainty. And that can be really mentally draining. I'm really glad that I decided to seek an off-campus provider because I was able to have continuity of care. Before I get into my personal story, I also realized I should probably bring up what a provider is in this situation. A provider, a mental health provider, can be a licensed clinical social worker. I see a licensed clinical social worker, and that is a social worker who has gone and gotten a master's degree and done a lot of training in mental health counseling. Not all social workers are licensed clinical social workers able to provide counseling, but several mental health providers you may encounter might be social workers. There are also psychologists, and psychologists, to my understanding, are people with clinical training to the doctorate level in psychology. Now, a psychologist as a mental health care provider is different than a psychiatrist who is a medical doctor who provides medical care regarding psychiatric conditions. So you are not likely seeing a psychiatrist for mental health counseling or therapy. There are psychiatrists who also have psychology training and do provide therapy and medication management, but I think this combination is less common. And so if you're seeing a psychologist, you are likely seeing someone who has a doctorate in psychology and who does not have an MD or a DO in medical training. There are also licensed mental health counselors, and I believe this is a master's level program in mental health counseling. And then there are also other types of providers like a licensed marriage and family therapist. I think all of this is awesome that there are so many different types of providers and types of care that people can get. And I think part of finding the right fit for you is going to be finding somebody that has the right kind of training. 
Now, between these different professions, you know, social workers and psychologists and so forth and so on, there's obviously going to be a lot of overlap in the training that they have. They've all learned about different types of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, psychoanalysis, things like that. And the difference isn't going to be so much in what their actual certification is in and more about where they've chosen to specialize and the types of patients that they have the most experience seeing and that they prefer to see. Some providers tend to specialize in types of disorders. For example, some therapists might spend most of their time with patients who have post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. There are other therapists who specialize in specific age groups working with children or working with the elderly population. Obviously, there are some therapists who specialize in types of people based on professions, like some specialists who prefer to work with veterans, some specialists who prefer to work with college students. And then also there are providers who tend to work with specific types of counseling. For example, therapists who only do dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT. And so when you are thinking about seeing a mental health provider or choosing a mental health provider, it can be really important to do your research if you can and figure out, do they have a bio somewhere online? And in that bio or on their website, do they talk about specific types of disorders that they specialize in? Do they talk about the age groups that they typically work with? Do they, do they talk about the typical types of therapy that they tend to do? CBT, DBT, psychoanalysis, whatever. And from there, you can start to get a picture of if this provider works with patients or clients that are similar to you or, or ha who have similar issues that you might have. So what was it like for me to start therapy in college? Well, at the time that I realized that I needed therapy, I needed help, I was at a really low point in my life. I was very depressed. I was very anxious. I didn't have good self-care or coping mechanisms for dealing with these emotions. I had probably been struggling for a very long time and only really in the couple of days or weeks before I started to see a therapist did I realize just how much I was struggling. And I talk about this story more in detail in my Why I Quit My Job as an RA episode, which I will link below, but basically what happened was everything I was overwhelmed about, everything that I wasn't dealing with, everything that was causing me stress came to a head and came to a critical mass point and I realized I can't do this anymore. I need help. And that involved several hours of crying in my dorm room and deciding like I really need to quit my job as an RA and realizing like I need to talk to somebody I need to be in therapy like I can't deal with this by myself anymore and for some people that rock bottom moment might look a little bit more like mine for some people it might be more of a serious life or death situation and really I would encourage any of you out there who are thinking about starting therapy you don't want to wait until you hit this rock bottom moment to start therapy if you think you might need therapy, there's no reason to really wait because the issues you're having don't have to get as bad as they got for me. You can start getting help sooner before it is a crisis or an emergency or a rock bottom moment. But in that rock bottom moment that I was having, it was really kind of a rock bottom week. If we're being honest, I called the counseling center on campus to try and get an appointment to see somebody. And I was like, crying and then I called and I was trying not to cry on the phone and the secretary for the office picked up and she told me that the first appointment that they had open was in four weeks 
And this goes back to kind of what I said before, one of the downsides of seeking out on-campus support or counseling is that they often have too few providers and too many students that need help. But anyways, I made an appointment and I didn't know at the time what provider I'd be seeing. I think at the time my campus had maybe four or five providers. Not all of them were full-time providers. And so I had this appointment kind of in my calendar. I was waiting for it. But then I realized that my counseling center also has crisis hours or walk-in hours where you can just walk in anytime between this time and this time and see a provider. And I'd thought about these walk-in hours before, but I had always had class during them, which is I think another downside to on-campus counseling is that the scheduling can be really rigid. A lot of schools might only do counseling services during the business hours of the week. They might not have evening times or early morning times or weekend times to see patients who are busy during the week. But on this particular week, I actually didn't have class on one of the days that they had walk-in hours, and so I decided I was gonna go to walk-in hours. And so I went in and I saw a provider, not the provider I ended up seeing for the majority of my time at St. Kate's, but I talked to her for probably the better part of an hour about how I'd been feeling, how overwhelmed I was, how anxious, how sad and miserable I was, you know, feeling unhappy because I should be happy. You know, I have the job I wanted, I have the friends I wanted, I'm the president of a club, I'm in the classes that I'm supposed to like, and yet I was still miserable. And I was unhappy with myself for being miserable because I felt like I should be happy. We call it shoulding ourselves is a really normal thing that a lot of people do. And we kind of talked about how to start to change the narrative. You know, change my should into talking about what is. You know, changing I should be happy because I'm an RA and this is what I wanted to be, right? Into being an RA isn't really what I thought it was going to be. And I'm disappointed that I don't like it as much as I thought I would. And so that was a really helpful first step for me in just seeing that crisis counselor, that walk-in hour, was just starting to think about those paradigm shifts or those shifts in my own internal narrative. Something else that she and I talked about was that I was so overwhelmed because I was so busy and I wasn't able to really do the self-care because I was just constantly on the move. You know, being an RA took up at least 15 hours of my week and then I was in, I was taking a full course load. I think I was in like 17 credits worth of classes, including organic chemistry, which could be an entire semester of stress all on its own, but then combined with everything else. And then I was the president of a club that met once a week. And so that was a lot of extra time and planning. And then, you know, I lived in a dorm that had a kitchen three floors away from where I was. So I wasn't getting to do as much of the things I enjoyed like cooking. And so laying out all these things in my life that were going on, also helped me to see that quitting my RA job was the right move for me because it wasn't making me happy. And it was adding to a lot of the stress and the depression and the anxiety I was feeling that I wasn't happy in the job. And then I was unhappy with myself for not being happy with the job and <laughs> the shame spiral. But I would say if you've been considering walk-in hours, definitely give it a try because even in that first session I had with a provider who didn't actually end up being the provider I would see for the rest of my time at St. Kate's, in just that hour I, I left feeling so much calmer and so much more, so much more like I could handle life and that was really comforting for me. Now when it comes to the provider I saw at St. Kate's, typically what 
you will need to do as a student, whether you're seeing an on-campus provider or an off-campus provider, when you arrive to your first appointment, they might have you arrive early to just fill out some paperwork, um, insurance things, things like that, um, like emergency contact information, but they'll also have you likely fill out some kind of survey or an intake questionnaire just so that they can get to know you a little bit on paper before they start working with you. And these questions will be things like, tell me about your family. Tell me about your romantic relationships. Tell me about school. How is school going? You know, tell me about work. And again, depending on the provider, these questions are going to look different. Some providers will ask more specific questions about relationships you have with people. Some providers might want to know a little bit more about you know, your history with different mental health concerns. It is likely that most of your providers will want to know if you're on any medications, even if they're not mental health or behavior or mood related medications. And there will also likely be in somewhere in the paperwork that you'll need to fill out a confidentiality statement and agreement because mental health counselors and therapists are medical providers. They provide medical care. And as such, your private health information, your PHI, is protected and you have a right to expect confidentiality from your provider. Now, I've had a couple of people actually ask me this question, and so I really wanted to address it. And they wanted to know, well, what is your first therapy session actually like? I hate to describe it this way because it's a little strange, but it's almost like a first date or maybe a job interview. The provider, whoever they are, will ask you different questions about yourself, about you know why you've decided to seek out counseling or therapy. They might ask you about your family, your job, school things, just to get to know you and get to know what you are struggling with and the things that you feel you might be struggling with most, the things that you feel you need to work on. The first conversation, and most therapists or providers will typically have a first session between 45 minutes and an hour and a half, depending on their preference and who they are and how they do therapy. But in that first session, you're gonna to get to kind of feel them out and you can ask them questions. You can ask them questions about the types of patients they usually see, you know, how often they prefer to see their patients, the types of issues that they work on with their patients. And it's, it's definitely as much a chance for you to get to know them as for them to get to know you. And towards the end of that first session, after you've talked about you know, what you're struggling with, what you'd like to work on, you've gotten to know this provider and how they do therapy, you've probably started to get a sense of who they are and how you guys click. I've been lucky, at least for me, the providers that I've seen, I think I've seen a total of four different men mental health providers in the last four or five years. And I've really only seen two long-term, the one at St. Kate's and the one I see now. And I got just good vibes from the first session or the first couple of sessions with each of them. And I felt like I was being listened to. And I felt like the things that I was saying were being heard. But not only that, but the things I wasn't saying were being picked up on. You know, saying that I have difficulties with a certain area of my life might allude to issues that I might be having in another area of my life. You know, a provider who is really in tune with you, a provider who's going to be a good fit for you is probably going to pick up on some of those things. Not necessarily right away, but I think that was really the thing that helped me to click the most with my providers was that I really felt like I was being heard. Towards the end of the session, towards the very end of the session, you'll also probably talk to this provider about how often they think they would like to see you. And some providers have a pretty standard 
formula for the way they like to do this. Um, I think it's pretty common for a lot of providers to see a patient once a week for a month and then reevaluate. And so you'll kind of make a game plan with your provider at the end of the appointment. And you'll presumably schedule a second appointment. And now here's the thing that I think a lot of particularly college students get stuck on is feeling like maybe you didn't jive with the provider you saw, feeling like, you know, you just don't feel like they're a good fit for you. You don't feel like you're a good fit for them. But then there's all the discomfort of like, what if I hurt their feelings if I don't come back to see them? A good relationship with your provider is really what your care is going to hinge on. Obviously, you do the work on yourself. Obviously, you seeking out counseling or therapy is, and your motivation to change is a huge factor, but you're not going to be able to get there with your provider if you don't feel good talking to them. If you don't feel comfortable sharing intimate, personal things about your life, if that's what you need in order to really work to the root of your issues, if you can't do that, then that's not your fault and that's not your provider's fault. You're just not going to be a good fit. And it's really not going to hurt a counselor or a therapist's feelings if you decide not to see them for a second appointment or if you see them for two or three appointments and you decide it's not working and you decide to stop. And obviously your provider genuinely does probably want to work with you, but they only want to work with you if you want to work with them. Like they don't want to keep having you come to sessions with them if you're not going to feel comfortable. No therapist wants their patient or their client to feel uncomfortable talking to them and they're not going to be hurt or offended if you decide that a different provider can meet your needs better because this is about you this isn't about you know protecting your provider's feelings this is about your health and that is ultimately a lot more important now for me at st kate's i did the walk-in hour the crisis hour whatever you want to call it a couple weeks after that i started seeing my provider pretty regularly i think we met every week for a couple of weeks and then we met every other week and then the following semester and the following school year we met about every three weeks and in that time I did a lot of really good work on myself and I felt really proud of what I was accomplishing I got to talk through things from my childhood that I didn't realize had been bothering me as an adult I got to talk through difficult situations in the classroom difficult situations with friends worries that I had about friends and family worries that I had about my life and all of that was super beneficial, and I am so, so grateful for the time I had there with my provider. Continuing on with the story I mentioned earlier, this provider that I'd been seeing, I saw her for over, almost two school year, two full school years. She left the summer before my senior year, and I thought originally that, you know, I'm fine. I don't need to go to therapy anymore. I'm good to go. I'm just, you know, I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to stop going to therapy, and it's going to be fine. That didn't work out so well for me. And... I had a lot of things come up that fall of my senior year for a lot of reasons. Obviously, I had gotten engaged to my husband that summer. I was getting married, so I was planning a wedding. I'd actually started like two new jobs, so I was terribly, terribly busy all the time. I worked like 30 hours a week and I had a full course load and I was planning a wedding and, you know, trying to see my husband and keeping up with physical health. I had a couple of physical health things come up that semester. And I started to realize that like the unhappiness that I was feeling was really familiar and the overwhelm I was feeling was really familiar. But I couldn't really figure out why that was because unlike when I was a sophomore and I was an RA and that was really the driving factor behind why I was so unhappy, I was pretty genuinely happy with most things that were going on. 
obviously not every moment was rainbows and sunshine, but I really liked the jobs I was working and the work I was getting to do. I liked my classes and my classmates. I liked my roommate. I loved Paul, obviously. Wedding planning was fun, even though it was kind of stressful. And I couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy and the stuff that I had learned from before in, in counseling wasn't working for me anymore. And so I decided that I was gonna go back to the counseling center and see a new provider. And I was assigned a new provider and we just did not click very well. And I think one of the reasons is that I was still kind of reeling. I was still really sad about my old provider leaving. You know, we even like, she had my provider's old office that we met in. And so it was just really hard to sit there and not sit there with the provider that I'd grown to really like. And not only that, but this provider, I just didn't really feel like she was listening to me. I didn't really feel like I was being heard. And this is probably just how our personalities go, you know, how her counseling techniques go. I'm sure that she's a great fit for a lot of other people, but she just wasn't for me. You know, I would start to talk to her about, you know, things that my previous provider and I had been working on or like previous life events that had been really significant to me. And it just felt like she was listening, but she was picking up on all the wrong details. Like I would talk about something significant that happened to me from a friendship standpoint and a school standpoint, and she would only pick up on the details that had to do with family, for example, just an example. And that bugged me because I didn't really want to talk about my family. I wanted to talk about what was bothering me so much about, you know, friendship and school. And so I think I saw her maybe two or three times before I was just really frustrated that it wasn't working. And so I decided I just wasn't going to see her anymore. But at the same time, I decided that I really wanted to be seeing somebody. I decided I really just, I wanted to be in therapy. I wanted to keep working on myself with the right person. And that was when I started to look off campus because I also realized that I was graduating and I didn't necessarily want to form a new relationship with another provider if I was going to have to leave them in less than nine months. Now, if you have health insurance, you likely have a website that you have access to that will show you different types of providers in the geographical region that you live. So you might be able to search mental health providers in a 10 mile radius of your zip code. And that's basically what I did. I went to my health insurance's website and I searched mental health providers near St. Paul, Minnesota. And I started to just read their bios. And there was quite a long list, and I think I was able to narrow it down by looking for people who worked with depression and anxiety. Now, a lot of mental health care providers work with people with depression and anxiety. They're two very common mental health issues. And so I tried to narrow it down. I wanted a provider who specialized in working with women because I'm a woman. And I also wanted a provider who was a woman. That was gonna be also pretty important for me. I did want to work with a female provider. And so I ended up finding a couple of different profiles that I decided to look over more closely. And when I found my provider, even just reading her bio, it felt like something really clicked. The provider I see now had written specifically that she works with adolescents and college students and that she works mostly with women and that she works with depression and anxiety. And all of that was pretty good to me. And she also worked in a suburb that wasn't too far from where I lived at the time. And so her email was on the website, and so I sent her an email introducing myself and explaining what I was looking for and asking if I could set up an appointment, and we set up an appointment. And so that first appointment with her went pretty much like the first appointments that I described. You know, we talked about what was going on in my life, how I was feeling, what I thought I wanted to work on, you know, how I decided that I wanted to start therapy or keep doing therapy in my case. And I got to ask her 
her some questions. I got to ask her about, you know, who does she typically work with and how does she typically do appointments. And even though I'd been seeing my previous provider at St. Kate's about every three, three weeks or so, my new provider off campus preferred to see patients every week for the first month or two. And so I agreed to that. And I've been seeing her basically once a week ever since. <laughs> and it's been going really well. And I feel like, you know, getting to know her better and her getting to know me better, she can read my body language like nobody's business, even over Zoom, because we've been doing remote therapy now. Oh my gosh. I can like blink and she'll be like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> and it's it's going well. And it's hard sometimes. Sometimes therapy, you leave an appointment and you feel really good. And sometimes you leave and you're just like, ooh. But all of that is okay. And it's all part of the process. And we're working on the hard stuff. And I've learned, you know, different coping mechanisms, different tools, how to shift my paradigm when I'm really in a negative shame spiral. And it's been really good. And I would definitely recommend therapy to anyone and everyone. I feel like I constantly talk about how happy I am that I'm in therapy. And it's true. I feel like I would not be nearly as confident, nearly as comfortable with myself, nearly as overall happy as I am if I had not been in therapy. Now, if you are concerned about the cost of therapy and you, this is whether or not you have insurance, you can, and it is your right to ask the provider before you even have an appointment with them, how much is this going to cost? You know, what insurances do you take? And they should be able to tell you how much an appointment with them is going to be. If they have a sliding scale fee, they might ask you for a bit of information about how much money you make or how much you work, but it should be relatively straightforward to get the information from the provider you want to see about how much it is going to cost to see them. I'll also say that it's probably going to be a bit more expensive than you want it to be, but if you have the money, it is definitely worth investing in seeing and developing a relationship with and working with a trained licensed mental health provider. You know, there are all kinds of meditation apps and wellness apps out there that you can download and do 10 minutes of meditation a day. There's all, you can do all the self-care in the world and all the meditation in the world and you can watch the Netflix and you can watch the YouTube videos. There's a ton of really great psychologists and therapists and counselors who have YouTube channels talking about different issues, but none of that can really replace seeking out individualized care from a provider. And in my opinion, if you can afford it, it is going to be worth it to see an in-person or you know remote telehealth, whatever, provider one-on-one -on -one individually, finding the provider that works best for you and really diving deep and doing the work on yourself with the support and partnership of this provider. Someone on Instagram asked me how to go about finding your perfect fit as a provider. And I talked about that a little bit earlier, you know, thinking about doing your research, figuring out who they typically work with, the issues they typically work on with patients, and figuring out if you might fit within that. Now, something else that therapists do sometimes, if they meet with you a couple of times and they can see that they are not the right fit for helping you, they might refer you to somebody else. And that's not a bad thing at all. It means that they know somebody that they think would be a great fit for you. For some people, it's really valuable to seek out a therapist or a counselor or a provider that they have something really important in common with. If you're LGBTQ+, and you can find an LGBTQ plus provider, I think that's gonna be really helpful for you. If you're black 
and you seek out a black provider, that black provider is going to have perspective on some of the issues that you might be facing, especially related to race and trauma and discrimination. And I don't want to say that if you are a person of color, you can't work with a white therapist, but I know a lot of people who are a person of color or are LGBTQ plus or have a disability and they work with a provider who has that in common with them, they really benefit from that because they feel heard and they feel seen and their provider has a lot of things in common with them and can provide them with guidance and real empathy. So to recap, on campus versus off campus providers, there's a lot of pros and cons for each. Personally for me, seeing an off-campus provider has been really beneficial as I've transitioned out of undergrad into graduate school and presumably beyond as I enter the professional world. There are a lot of different ways to afford therapy and a lot of providers will have different options for paying, whether or not you have insurance, whether or not you can afford to pay a lot. And therapy is absolutely worth investing in if you can. It's okay if you don't find a provider who's the perfect fit on the first try. It's okay to see a few different providers till you find someone that clicks with you. And finding a provider who has shared experience with you, like being a person of color or having a disability, might be really helpful and beneficial to you. But overall, it's more important to find the right provider than to find a provider who is your identical twin. And if you are not a perfect match for a provider, it is absolutely okay to stop seeing them and to try and find a new one. Because your mental health is more important than avoiding hurting someone's feelings. I really enjoy talking about my experience with therapy, I think because I feel so much positivity from it, but this is not the case with every person. For some people, therapy is a very private experience and they're not very comfortable talking about it at this time. And that's okay too. If you like this episode, if you have more questions about what it's like to do therapy in college, or if you have more questions for me about mental health as a college student, I welcome any and all of those. Please feel free to leave me a comment on this video, leave me a review, DM me on Instagram, however you feel like reaching out on social media, I am very welcome to it. Please go ahead and follow me on Instagram, I am at FeedThatNation. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe on a podcast platform if that's where you're listening, and don't forget to join me this Saturday for a vlog. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation, you're listening to Feed That Nation, and I'll see you soon.